Good morning, Living Stones. So good to be with all of you uh, this morning. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> as most of you know, uh, we, uh, we moved to our new house here just a few months ago. And uh, moving can be, moving is, it's not just that it can be. I don't know anybody that loves to move. Uh, and, and we were actually talking with some good friends of ours uh, yesterday about moving and how often we have done that. And you, you know, you can never be completely prepared for a move. No, no matter how organized you are and how much advance notice that you are, are giving yourself to pack all of the things in the boxes and to label them very nicely. Some people even put a list on their box. Here's what's in this box. Uh, when you go to your new place, and you may have had people help you, or you're, you're just like, you know what? I'm going to do it myself. I don't want anybody to misplace all of my things. I'm going to put them exactly where they need to be. There's always at least one thing that is lost. No matter how organized we've been, it's lost. And so this, this year, you know, we had Christmas. And uh, what, we, what we normally do in our house, uh, Katie has a, a lot of teapots and teacups and all of these kind of things, but we changed them out at Christmas time, all right? And so when we, we moved in, we really didn't have that opportunity because we moved in and Christmas came a few months later. And after, you know, we had all of this collection of Starbucks mugs from all over the world because that's the gift that we get from people that go all over the world and they say, hey, I got you a mug from, you know, uh, Italy and, you know, wherever they've been. And so we have this collection of Starbucks mugs. Katie takes them all down. She puts out all of the beautiful Christmas cups and things like that. And so we're putting all the Christmas away. And where did those mugs go? Where did our, where did our mugs go? My favorite mug, the one that I had handmade for me, was gone. And we were stressing out over that. And what we thought we had done is we... Because Katie was like, we've got to downsize. We're going to send some of these things to Goodwill. And we just had this sinking fear that all of our favorite things just got sent to Goodwill. So I went to Goodwill. <laughs> I went to Goodwill. And I said, I asked, the, I asked the ladies that were working in there after Christmas, I said, what do you... What do you do with those boxes that people bring, you know, when you dump off your things there? And I said, normally with the clothes, we kind of sort through them, and then we, we spread them out among the uh, different Goodwill stores in the, in the area. But if you take, this is good information for you, by the way, if, uh, if you take a box of other items like cookware or whatever it might be, it stays in that store. I said, that's helpful. So I went back through the shelves, and I looked for all of our favorite mugs, and they were not there because they were still at the house. They were exactly where we put them. You know, all of those lost things eventually, and we were so grateful when it was like, came to this relief, and we thought the world had come to, the, to an end because my favorite coffee mug was gone. You know, we're like this. Where are my keys? Where are my glasses, right? Where's my wallet and my phone and my TV remote? We are so lost without these items. Well, if you take it to the next level, I mean, those are kind of like, we, we think the world has come to an end when we can't find a phone, we can't find all of these things. But for those of us as parents, what is it like when you turn around and your child is not there? And you have this moment of trauma, moment of fear, 
And, and I, I don't want to make light of this because I know that there are times, I know when I was a kid, I got lost in the mall. And my parents were just going crazy. And fortunately, you know, they, they found me, or I found them, however it was. But even for an instant, you just go into this period of crisis and trauma. I think all parents have dreams and desires for our children, even before they are born, even before we have decided that we're going to have children, we, we, we have this ideal in our mind. We have this dream that we long for our children to live a certain way, and everything will be at peace and good. But when these dreams don't come true for us, when, they don't, when our ideals don't come to fruition, it can feel like we've lost our son or our daughter. What happened? What happened? And it can be that same sinking feeling as if you'd lost your child in the mall. And it's the thing that keeps us up at night. As we continue to talk about this unconditional love, and we take it even a little step deeper when we think about the people that we love and how we hold on to them. I think it's important that we continue to remember that we're drawing a circle here. We're drawing a circle that says, even though I have these dreams, even though I have these, these ideals, I want you to know that you are welcome here. Remember, we, as we wrestle with these things, we will discover how Jesus draws big circles. And he drew circles so large that includes so many people that it consistently made the religious leaders nervous. But his circle was big enough to include sinners like you and like me and those that we love, those that we have dreams for, those that we hold on to, he welcomes us all into those circles. And when we start talking about this, it just brings up anxiety and it, and it and brings up fear because now we're talking about people that we dearly love, that we hold on to. And now more than ever, we need the Holy Spirit. And so I'd like to pray again that the Holy Spirit would come and guide our thoughts. And this morning, I've, uh, I've borrowed a prayer that... This is a song I listen to actually every Sunday morning. I don't know why I, I, I've, I've done this. Um, I think I heard somebody sing this during worship several years ago. Uh, Francesca Battistelli wrote a song, Holy Spirit. And uh, so I want to pray this prayer and share this prayer with you. Let's pray this together. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come. Flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, it's what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord, in this place. Your presence, Lord. There's nothing worth more that we could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You are our living hope. Your presence, Lord, is what we long for.
Hello, my name is Julie Wood. My husband and I were born into the United Methodist Church. My dad was even a minister. We had a beautiful little boy named Ben. He received commitments from us, his church, and the congregation when he was baptized to be nurtured in a community of faith. He grew up with friends that he made all the way back to nursery. Just as we had, he was consistently very active in the church. He was confirmed. He helped bring his sisters here, one from China and another born a few months later. He took this role very seriously. He transitioned into the church youth group. He went on every retreat and mission trip. It was cherished. He was the district representative Daniel Conference at Lake Janaluska for several years and for the western part of the state. Unfortunately, the impact of the United Methodist Church has not all been positive. A new leader arrived. Soon, Ben was worked out of all his leadership roles. The leader told Ben that because he was gay, he was going to hell. He was not worthy of being a part of the group and no representation of Christ. The leader pressured the other children to state they were uncomfortable being around him. During the confrontation that followed, he screamed at my husband and I that being gay is an abomination. I'm almost certain that these are the shoes and the shirt that he was wearing. I'm almost certain it's when his spirit was broken. There was no golden rule, no singing Jesus loves the little children, and there was certainly no good Samaritan. Our grounding was gone. On May 8, 2013, Ben died by suicide. We'll never know how much of an impact this traumatizing time at youth had on his decision to end his pain, but I know he never stepped foot back into a church. Questions. What is our chief purpose as a church? Is it to bring people into a loving relationship with Christ or to create barriers that push people away from Christ? Please consider that the words in a book of discipline and treatment as second-class citizens does not say to one that they are worthy. These actions breed abuse. What can we do to change this? People are in the same seat that Ben was in at this very moment. Spiritual trauma is real. Please have courage. Look at the bumper stickers that were on Ben's car. One says, what if the hokey pokey is what it's all about? United Methodist Church, I have given you so much of my life, and I entrusted my most beloved to your care. We need your leadership and courage to simply show love. Thank you. We have to put an end to this. And we have to take the courage to start talking about this. I, I think, and forgive the video from the standpoint of I'm not blasting the United Methodist Church because there are good churches and there are churches that don't handle situations like this uh, in a proper way, even within our own circle of churches as well. It's not about one church over the other. We can add, but what we see traditionally, I think, is two approaches. 
One approach says homosexuality is wrong or right, and since the Bible is clear that it is wrong, some have no patience for those who think otherwise. That's one approach. The other approach is to mockingly discount the Bible as archaic and backwards, backwoods, an old school book for a homeschool family. Now, it's not a slam to those of you who are homeschoolers. Both approaches are wrong. We desire at the Livingstone's Church to take a more balanced approach. It's the more difficult path, but it's the one that seeks truth and love, conviction and compassion. We want to listen to the Bible and take seriously the words of our Creator. We also want to sit down over a cup of coffee and listen to other people's stories, just like the one that you heard today. We can love people and still ask the hard questions. Love and truth are not at odds. So what we are desiring to do is to cultivate a heart for people. Homosexuality is not something to debate. It's about a people to love. People like you and me who need Jesus Christ. Focusing on truth with little compassion can actually damage other people who are made in the image of God. So in the next two weeks, the last two weeks of this sermon series, this week we want to share with you a Livingstone's vision to help parents love their children well. And when our children reveal to us their struggles, their hurt, their pain, it will manifest itself in ways that will rock our world. And we desire to build a supportive community where families know that they are not alone in the church. And the next week, we want to begin to talk about difficult issues. When we do this, we will realize it will bring up many questions. And, and you may be asking yourself even today, well, what do we believe? What do we believe as a church? And I feel like that is just doesn't go far enough, or it's not the right kind of question, because I think sometimes when we ask that question, we just want somebody to spoon-feed me the answer, right? And if the thing that you are feeding me on the spoon is not something that jives with what I have traditionally thought, then, then I can't be here. Instead, what we want to do is to teach, share what, how we teach and what we teach. That is what we want to, to be very important for us. So next week, we will address this and share clearly with you our commitment through our teaching. Uh, so beginning, one of the things that we've done, this is just at the very beginning of the process for us, but as the elders and the, the staff here, along with our youth coaches, have been working through this process, uh, we want to begin to create resources. And Tia Chapo has done an amazing job beginning that process. And so if you're looking for some initial resources uh, she's got some that are available on a rack next to the community room. Please go at your leisure uh, with uh, confidentiality. And, in, and also, please know that your pastor is available to you. 
Uh, I'm here to talk with you without any judgment, to care and to love you and walk with you through this. And I believe that our elders and our staff here at the church feel the same way. I want you to understand uh, what has led me to lead in this uh, teaching and, and, to, uh, and to place my hands or myself into submissively into the hands of our elders and our staff. Uh, and, and to me, this is part of the beauty of what led us to this conversation, <laughs> because this would not be the ideal conversation to have as the new lead pastor at Living Stones. <laughs> So we walk courageously. We walk courageously. This past summer, we got together with our youth coaches in the green room, and we talked with them about what, what are some of the needs that you have as we look for a new staff member that will, that will care for our family life ministry. And one of the things that blew me away, and it is a complete compliment for all of our youth coaches and the way that they care for the, for the kids that come through the doors of these churches say, we need to be resourced so that we can walk with children that are going through depressive issues that lead to possible suicidal thoughts through addictions and even gender identity. Because they know that as we carry out the vision and the mission of the Livingstone Church, as we set the table, people are going to come into our congregation that are going to have these struggles and need to have, walk through these conversations. And that is a win. That is a win for the Livingstone's church to have people that care enough to say, we don't want to just sweep this under the rug or push people off and say, let somebody else take care of that. We're going to courageously handle that. Even if we don't know what to say, we want to be supportive to our kids and our church and our families to love on them well. That's huge. That is huge. And I, I mean... When you have an opportunity to talk with our youth coaches, thank them for asking those questions. And so as we heard those questions, we knew this has got to be something to be addressed. We have to talk about this, and we have to put a plan in motion. The second thing that has been very impactful for me in the last couple years is to have had, and I continue to have, conversations with parents who have children that have come out either as homosexual or transgender, even just questioning. And these are conversations that we need to continue to have. Knowing that you are not alone is extremely encouraging. But knowing that you are not alone in your church is life-giving. And no one should be have set their foot through the doors of this church to feel like they are alone. So as we continue to look how Jesus demonstrated his unconditional love, I want to look at a passage of scripture where this struggle is real. I want to look at a parent. <laughs> and uh, this passage is going to come, uh, and it's probably a story that you know very well from Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. Starting at verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I, 
when the son says, Dad, give me my inheritance, what he in essence was saying to his father was, I wish you were dead so that I don't have to live under your roof anymore. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I just want to pause there, and I want to brush over that part of the text very quickly because notice where he's at. He's in a distant country where the farmers were raising what? Pigs. This is not kosher. This is not a Jewish community. He goes to a pagan land where the people of his community, where he'd come from, would say, there's no coming back. You have given your life over and left not only your family, but your faith. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And notice where he's at. Why is the son sorry? I don't, I, I think we, if we just read what's in the text, he's sorry because he's hungry. Yeah, that's real. Like, I'm hungry. I, and he knows that if he goes back and becomes a servant, he will, he will have some food. That's all he's asking for. Be careful that you don't read into this that he is completely repentant of his ways. But he is in need, and so this is where he finds himself. Now here's, listen to these words. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile... The older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Just pause there. This, this older son was what was known as the behor. He was the, the son who would receive the double portion of the inheritance. He was the one that was going to be in charge of his father's estate. 
And already he has an opinion of his younger brother, who he doesn't even consider his brother anymore. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? Well, your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out, pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've, slave, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The first thing that we desire to do as a church is to help parents love their child well. And it may be that we are, t we are helping parents to love their child well in a new day. Because the way that we have loved our children now that our dreams are dashed and, 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 and lost, I need to learn to love my child in a different way. And it takes skill that can be developed, that needs to be developed. I would liken it to holding out my hands and saying, I love you without condition. Notice that the father displays this. What is his posture? What is his attitude? What does it say in the text? He's not just going about his day-to-day -day duties and forgetting about his son. Even though his son may have forgotten about him, what is he doing? How does he approach his son when his son, he sees his son way off in the distance? His attitude was, I love my son, and I'm constantly looking out over the horizon to get a glimpse of him. And he ran to him without expecting anything from his son. He was ready to welcome him home and restore his relationship with him through unconditional love, through acceptance. I accept you. I don't know where you've been yet. I don't know that you went to the distant land. I don't, but I know that you aren't here and I want you here. I want you with me in our family, in our embrace. And that is a trust to say that when I accept you, I know that Jesus meets us here and he has the ability to change all of our lives. The second thing that we want to do as a church is we want to help parents point their children to Jesus. Again, this is a new day. For, for us and our children, we think about like we've done our best to raise them. We've done our best to get them to church on time, in the seat. <laughs> we've taught them the scriptures and we've done the best that we can. And yet now, in these new days, when they go off like this child <laughs> goes off, the father needs to look for new ways to point their child to Jesus. Notice what the father does. What does he do? He brings the best robe 
and he puts it on his son. And he puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. It's not just, I noticed that you have dirty clothes on. <laughs> Let me get you some clean clothes because I can't stand to look at you the way you are. It's, I am giving you identity. The robe and the ring and the sandals would have meant you are now, you are restored to this place in our family. And then he says, bring out the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. When you are at odds with somebody, I don't know how many of you have ever sat with your, with your, in your family at a table, at a meal, and there's an argument going on. What is, what is the feeling like at the table? It's very tense. I can remember those moments as a child. And it's not fun. I can remember tears in my eyes as I'm trying to eat food. It's not fun. You would not, in these days, be accepted at a table if there was conflict. And the father is breaking down that barrier, and he says, there's nothing between you and I. I invite you to the table, and not only that, but we're going to take this special calf that we have laid out here for just this kind of celebration, and we're going to slaughter it and kill it, and we're going to have a party. It's a table of fellowship, and he is restoring and giving acceptance. Notice again, he does this before the son has any words to speak. And then he says, for this son of mine, to the older son, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. What is Jesus' purpose? What did he say? I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And you and I have that same commission in our lives to say, to proclaim that my daughter, my son, was once lost, but now they are found. And so we point our children to Jesus. And then even with his older son, what are the words that he shares with the older son? When the older son looks at this situation and he's like, wait a minute, Dad. What about me? I didn't do anything wrong. And he says to his son, when you are with me, all that I have is yours. Pointing our children to Jesus is basically saying to them, and you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. And everything that I have, everything that God has is yours. So we celebrate together. So we help parents love children well, and we help parents point their children to Jesus but the last thing that we do, what we, last thing that we want to do as a church is we want to help parents to discover what God wants to do in their own heart. We parent. When we parent, 
We parent through the filter of our heart, our insecurities, our fears, our hopes, and our dreams for our kids. Just like I was talking about earlier, we, we have these desires, and they're not wrong desires. They come from good intention and a good heart. But when those dreams are dashed, when our kids come out, the hopes and the dreams that we had for our children vanish. But how did the father feel and react to his son's rejection of his authority? In essence, as I mentioned before, <laughs> wonder what the father was thinking when the youngest son said, give me my inheritance. Have you ever been there? When somebody that you love turns their back on you and doesn't care? Wishes that you were dead. I wonder what the father was learning from God in that moment. Because that's a heartbreak. To be able to look back on that and think, wow. What can I do better? And even with the older son, think about this. The older son is is questioning and saying, looking at this celebration that is happening for the younger son who had gone off and yet he had stayed there and did everything. I wonder if that question that he asked his dad was painful to him to say, oh my gosh, have I not shared enough with you that I love you too, that you are a part and I wonder if it's maybe out of that that the father says to his older son, you're mine too. I'm sorry that I didn't share that with you, but you know what? We'll have a party for you too. You deserve this inheritance. How can I communicate that better? To be able to look at what's going on around us, and that's a hard thing to do as a parent, to take a backward step and to look at what's going on and to say, God, what are you teaching me now? What are you showing me in the midst of my struggle and my hurt and my pain that reveals your presence right here? And what is it that you want me to know that is new to me about your love? As I wrap up the message for this morning, I want to reach back for us as a church and to last week's message where I, we looked at the Beatitudes, and in the middle of the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. And we defined righteousness. The Hebrew word is tzedakah, which means generosity, an act of voluntary giving without limitations in time or amount. Listen to these words from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. 
All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and his goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whenever you did it for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for me, one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Now I think we, after walking through that text about the prodigal son, maybe have a different look on this scripture. Christ's greatest commandment, think about this, Christ's greatest commandment wasn't to convert your neighbor. It was what? Love God and love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love, if love becomes conditional, if love is reduced to an evangelistic tool, if love becomes just another way of making people be just like us, then we have deeply misunderstood the love of Jesus. Righteousness. Righteousness. It's not about living and behaving a proper way. Righteousness is just like the king says. Whenever you have done this to the least of these, you're doing this to me. And so whoever it is in our lives, in our walk, even our own children, when they are hungry, when they are in need, a place to stay and new clothing on their back. We do this so that we might also minister to Jesus. This uh, video that we're going to share um, may be copyrighted, <laughs> so it won't go up on streaming. Um, but uh, I didn't watch the Super Bowl. Um, but for those of you that did, you'll probably recall this one-minute short video that would, I hope, give you a picture of how Jesus demonstrates his unconditional love, maybe in ways that we uh, would find challenging this morning. And there's been a lot of commentary, apparently, about this. 
But I look at it and I find it exactly where we need to be. After the video, uh, we will enter into our communion time.